Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Super glad that you're here with us as we jump back into our study through this amazing book, uh, the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 7. And so if you have your Bible, it might, might hold your spot there. If you want to pull up your mobile device, you can do that, Romans 7. And we'll also have the, the passages on the screens. Uh, before we do, though, I thought I'd fill you in on a little bit of what happened at Easter. Uh, if you guys were with us, uh, we did a, every, every Easter we do an Easter survey and want to hear from you, things that you would like to hear teaching around, things you'd like to grow in. You might find it interesting to note that uh, out of everyone who filled out that survey, the top topics uh, that you would like to hear teaching around is one, uh, spiritual warfare, and then two, prayer, uh, which I thought that's incredible. You guys just long for the heart of God, long to, to know him better. And so we're going to be uh, crafting teaching and, and experiences, practices around, around those two things. You might also find it interesting to note that out of everyone who filled out that Easter survey, 27% of the people were brand new to Central. So 46 people, brand new to Central, first time at Easter. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, 21 people uh, took the one-year challenge. And if you're new, you're like, what's the one-year challenge? Well, I'd like to invite you to take that one-year challenge. What I say is that, that, man, give us a year of your life and see what God does in your life. Like, from now till next year, a year's going to go by. Why not entrust God with a year of your life and say, God, I would just like, I want to connect with you. I want to meet with you and see if God, you just show up, keep showing up. And uh, I, we just believe that God's going to change your life. And if he doesn't, uh, then I'll go find a different church with you. That's my commitment. Not because we're that good, but because God's that good. He'll change your life. And we believe that. Uh, eight people said they're ready to get baptized. Check this out. 24 people committed their lives to Jesus this Easter. Come on. That's what we're, that's what we're about. That's why we exist. And that's exciting. And we're grateful for the work that Jesus is doing in the hearts and lives of people. And if you're one of those 24 that committed your life to Jesus, as Chris mentioned, your best next step is to go public with your faith and get baptized. And we'd love to be able to prepare for that. So this next step card, seat back in front of you one more time. Just want to underscore this. Second box, baptism, check that. And uh, come ready to celebrate. Central next week, man. We're going to celebrate big uh, what God's doing in the lives of people. Well, hey, I hope you have uh, some notes to take today. We're going to be kind of laying a foundation for Romans chapter 7. It's a little bit technical, a little bit deep into the pool type of teaching. Uh, probably a passage that I would not pick uh, of myself to teach today, but we're committed to teaching verse by verse through this amazing book of Romans. And so I hope you'll have some notes to follow along, uh, not because the teaching is going to be so profound. Uh, from me, but God's word will change your life. And so my hope as you pray, as you spend time with Jesus, you bring these notes, uh, you'd ask God to speak to you uh, through this text and massage this into your life a little bit, a little bit more. In Romans 7, we have for us what is one of the most profound analyses of sin, the psych psychology of sin, how sin works, what sin does. Uh, probably most profound than you'll find anywhere else in scripture, Romans chapter Seven. In fact, many have debated whether the person that Paul is going to be writing about, we're going to look at next week, is, is the Apostle Paul himself? Is it someone else? Is the person even saved or not, not saved? Uh, but I would suggest that if people don't grasp Romans chapter 7, then we'll stumble over uh, our feet a lot of areas in, in our life whenever it comes to our relationship with God, particularly how is our standing with God? Are we good with God? Are we not good with God? Uh, one thing Paul's going to write about 
over and over again is the law and the, the purpose of the law uh, in our life. And so uh, we, we define this when we study Romans chapter 6. What does it mean to live under law? What does it mean to live under grace? Uh, to live under law, we, we, we said, is, is to, about keeping the law. Uh, so living under law, keeping rules so that you can be righteous in God's sight. And it's in the top of your notes. You might underscore this, circle that, keeping the rules. That's what living under law is. Uh, to live under grace is all my righteousness comes as a gift from God, a gift from, from Christ himself. So you might circle that word, all. Uh, if, if you're like many people who are followers of Jesus, somehow we get into our minds that, that 100% uh, of forgiveness takes place the moment we got saved. Like all my past is forgiven. But now that God's forgiven me, now it's up to me. It's my duty. It's my obligation to, to live a sin-free life. Like God does 90%. Now it's on me to do the rest of the 10%. And I would just suggest to you that's not a biblical understanding of how salvation works. A biblical understanding of salvation, living life under grace, is all of my righteousness. Not just part of it. Not just 99% of it. All my righteousness is a gift from Christ. And we would do well just to sit in that for a moment. Just to understand that, man, your right standing with God is not contingent on your performance. It's not contingent on what you have done, what you haven't done. It's all a gift from God, 100% of it. When we study Romans chapter 7, it's important for us to really grasp what Paul's teaching us in Romans 7, because when we come to Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul is going to lay out for us some of the most profound, some of the most prolific words in all of the Bible. But if we don't understand Romans 7, then we're going to miss the weight of the words in Romans 8. We're going to miss the why of Romans chapter 8. Uh, one of those most profound passages is, is the first verse of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, says, therefore... Now, anytime we see the word therefore, we got to go back and see what it's there for. So Romans chapter 7 is really unpacking for us the therefore. But here's what Paul says, and, and this is amazing. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation over your life if you're a follower of Jesus. That's good news. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter 7 is unpacking for us, what is the law of sin and death? What is the law of the spirit that gives life? And, and so, so really today what we're studying is, is what is the law? What's our relationship to the law as Christians? And, and how do we navigate that in our walk with Christ? We've unpacked what it means to live under law versus under grace and if we're not careful, whenever Paul talks about the law, he's going to talk about the law repeatedly in this chapter, Romans 7. If we're not, if we're not careful, uh, we, we, can, we can misunderstand what the law is. So let me just briefly, I think Paul means it in the broadest sense. So we could say the law is like the Old Testament commands or like the Ten Commandments. That would certainly be part of it. Uh, we could say biblical principles, that's the law. And I think that would be part of it. Uh, but Paul laid out for us in Romans chapter 2 that all of us have this understanding of right and wrong in our minds, that God's, God's put his law on our hearts. And so people that don't even have scripture, uh, God will judge justly based on their response to the internal law that he's, he's placed on their hearts, to their, to their conscience and their obedience to that. Uh, second, I would say it's important for us as followers of Jesus to be very careful when we, we, we provide teaching tools that can help us 
know God, that can help us draw close to God. Because if we're not careful, the tools to know Jesus all of a sudden can become the rules for our Christian life. So things like prayer, like I think we'd all agree, like prayer is important in your walk with God. Like if you're going to know God, it's important that you talk to him. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if prayer becomes the law, so if I don't pray, now all of a sudden I feel condemned, then the tool all of a sudden became a rule and we've missed the whole point. You with me? Uh, same when it comes to studying God's word and, and attending church, like all good things to help us know God more. But we need to be careful that the, the tools to know Jesus don't become the rules that we put ourselves back under. So we can be Christians under grace, but we live as though we're, we're under law. And we just need to be very careful for that. Uh, here are some of the problems with putting yourself back under the law. Uh, living a, a rules-oriented Christianity, we could say. I'm going to go quick, but I'm going to give you seven challenges to living under law. And at the end, I'm going to give you seven advantages to living under grace. Here's the first one. It creates a competitive spirit. Like if it's all about the rules, then, then it just creates like I can keep the rules better than you can. And that just creates this weird dynamic, which is what Jesus was adamant against the Pharisees for because they thought they were better than everyone else because they kept, kept the rules. And, and Jesus is like, you just missed the heart of God in the whole process. Second, it facilitates a judgmental attitude towards others. They're kind of the same, but they're different. Like it's, it's this judgmental attitude saying, man, you did that? Well, I thought you were a Christian. I don't do that. You watch that show? I can't believe that. Now there's wisdom in that, uh, but we need to not be, uh, the, the, keeping the rules, keeping the laws, it can create this judgmental attitude towards others. Third, it encourages people to do the minimum. If, if you live a rules-based Christianity, if an individual is living a rules-based Christianity, then they'll ask questions like, well, how, how far can I go before I'm not saved? If, how, how much can I do and still be good with God? Can I still go there? Can I still do that? Or is that too much? And, and, and that just misses the whole point. The, the point of Christianity is to say, say, God, you've invited me into a loving relationship with you. Like I get to know God. Are you kidding me? So God, I don't want to do anything that would hinder my walk with you. I don't want to do anything that would, would, would break intimacy or, or, or pull me away from who you are. Like God, my life's yours. All, the, all of me. I, I want all of you. And rules-based Christianity encourages people to do the minimums instead of just living in loving relationship with God. Fourth, uh, living a rules-based Christianity returns a person to works righteousness mentality. In other words, if I'm doing well, if I'm doing good keeping my rules, then I feel close to God. If I don't do well keeping my list of rules, then I feel like God's mad at me. And that's to miss the whole point. You're saved by grace through faith alone. Fifth, it fosters a personal condemnation. If, if even the most disciplined person among us is going to trip up a time or two, and when you do, what do you do with that? If it's all about keeping the rules, then you're just going to foster this, this sense of I'm condemned because I didn't, I didn't keep the rules. I blew it. Fifth, it diminishes assurance of salvation. If it's all about keeping the rules, then when you blow it, then, then how do you know you're right with God? How, what does that even look like? Which leads us to the seventh, it robs the Christian of joy. It's hard to do any of these and walk in joy. It's hard to walk around not sure where my salvation truly lies and have joy. It's, it's hard for me to, 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 to have a judgmental spirit towards other people and walk in joy. And God wants you to walk in joy. That's what he has for you. So with that in mind, that kind of a backdrop, that's why we don't want to live under law. What does Paul say to us about the law and our relationship 
to the law. Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to read it in Romans chapter 7. So I invite you to stand to your feet with me if you would. Uh, stretch it out a little bit. Shake out those legs. Those of you online, feel free to stand up as well. Unless you're driving, then don't do that. But we're going to pick it up. Romans 7 verse 1 reads this. Do you not know, brothers, that I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man as long as he is alive? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we just declare that your word has authority to shape our lives, to shape our view of who you are, to shape our, our relationship with you, and to shape how we view our relationship to the law. So God, I pray that you would crack open your word, give us understanding and application that we might walk in freedom that you have for us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you give someone a high five and say you died to the law. You died to the law. You died to the law. Probably not something you thought you'd be saying today. Um, well, hey, I, I got four points for you uh, from this, this text. And um, it is, again, a little bit technical. So I hope you take some notes and it'll help you follow along. And I think if we grasp what Paul's teaching us, man, this passage, though it is a little bit confusing and maybe an angle you wouldn't necessarily take, if we grasp it, it's going to be, bring so much freedom into your walk with Christ. So four things. Here's the first, the axiom, the axiom. First word, axiom. An axiom is a self-evident truth. And as you can guess, I choose the word axiom because they're going to be all four A's uh, to help you remember this. So there, an axiom is a principle. It's a self-evident truth. Uh, Romans 7.1 says this, do you not know? So in other words, Paul's saying this is clear, like everyone would agree on this. Do you not know, my brothers, that I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he is alive? So this is a self-evident truth. Uh, whenever you die, you're not worried about the speed limit, right? Like there's no speed limits in heaven, like free to roam about the heavenly realm. Um, we went to a men's retreat this week. Uh, I don't know any of the guys in the room from the retreat went. Yeah. Hey, let's go. Let's go. It was awesome. It was at Mount Hermon. If you've never been to Mount Hermon, it's beautiful up there. But they're doing road work on Highway 17 coming out of Santa Cruz. And so, so GPS routed me down Highway 9. And yes, if you've never been on Highway 9, just consider the moans as a reference point. Uh, it's a very windy road. Uh, and there's like sheer cliffs off some of these, these turns. So I'm like white-knuckled driving Highway 9 coming back from, from Santa Cruz. And, and as I'm white-knuckled, very slowly <laughs> driving Highway 9, there's these motorcycles, vroom, like 
flying by, like taking all these twists and turns and crazy. I was like, bro, you're you're going to die. Like, I think I'm going to die. And I'm in a big truck. You're on a motorcycle. You're hopeless. Like, anyway, so, so I noticed that they're not just going by me once. But they fly by me, and then I see the same dude, same girl, whoever it was, in the same motorcycle gear coming back up the other way, Highway 9, vroom, flying by people. It was amazing and scary all at the same time. And, and I was thinking about this patch, and I thought, you know, what if they hit some loose gravel and they slide off down this sheer cliff and fall to an inevitable death? And then a helicopter comes picks up said person, brings them back. Does that police officer then put the dude in handcuffs for reckless and endangerment driving and then issue them a citation? Does he do that? No, that's ludicrous. Why? They're dead. The law only applies to the living. And that's the self-evident truth, number one, that Paul wants you to grasp. Second, he's going to give us an analogy an analogy. So first, an axiom. Second, an analogy. And the analogy he's going to use, the illustration he's going to use is that of marriage. And I would just suggest to you that this is not a proof text that Paul is teaching when it comes to marriage. This is not a proof text to say that unless your spouse dies, you can never marry another person. That's not the point of what Paul's teaching us here. Remember the context of what Paul's teaching. He's teaching us, one, about salvation, but two, about the Christian's now relationship to the law. Now, there's probably a good time and space for us to talk about uh, divorce and remarriage, but I would just suggest to you that this text is not, that's not the purpose Paul is writing this. And so our minds are going to naturally want to gravitate there, but I would just encourage you to resist that because Paul's not talking about that. That's not the purpose of this teaching. The purpose of this teaching is to highlight for you and for me in an analogy form, an illustration of now our relationship. Uh, to the law. Everybody good with that? Okay, here we go. Uh, Romans 7, 2. He says, for example, here's the analogy. For example, uh, by law, a, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Why is that? Because the law only applies to the living, right? Okay. And so, so Paul understands this. We understand this. Like uh, typically at a marriage uh, celebration, a, mar- a wedding, uh, they'll exchange vows and they'll say, till death do us part. So in other words, both parties, the man and the woman, enter into this marriage covenant with an understanding that once one of them dies, the, the law no longer is obligation. Like, like the, the covenant is, is then broken at, at that point. And that's what Paul wants us to grasp, okay? So don't let your mind drift the million other places that it probably wants to right now. All right, verse three. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. And again, this is not Paul's specific teaching on marriage. He's teaching us about a relationship to the law. So the first thing we've seen is the axiom. The law only applies to the living. The analogy, the laws of marriage only apply as long as both individuals, both parties are still alive. Once one of them dies, it's over. Everybody good with that so far? All right, third point. We're moving quick. This is amazing. This is awesome. Uh, We're going to spend some more time here. The third point is the application. So we've seen the axiom, the analogy, now the application. Uh, Verse 4. So my brothers, look at this. You also died to the law 
through the body of Christ. That's good news. And based on your silent applause, I know you understand that's good news. Because <laughs> here's why this is good news. Because the law is what has authority to condemn you. The, the law has authority to, to, to bring punishment. But, but Paul just says, you died to the law. And so when we get to Romans 8, he's going to say, therefore, there's no condemnation. Why? Because you're dead to the law. That which would condemn you now no longer has authority. You're free from that. And that's really good news. So for us to really understand and grasp what Paul's teaches us here in Romans 7, uh, we're going to rewind the tape a little bit to Romans chapter 6, where we took a lot of time with this. Uh, but I just want to re- give a little refresher to, to us uh, who maybe weren't here. And if you were, it's good for us to be reminded of this. Romans 7, or sorry, 6 verse 3 says this. Do you not know that we were baptized, who are baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now, we're baptized. Most of the time when we see the word baptized, we think of water baptism, uh, which will take place next week on the 31st. It's where someone identifies with Jesus in his death, his burial, and resurrection. It's this image of my old self standing out, out of the water. Then I'm buried with Jesus, I identify with his death, and I come up out of the water, identify with his resurrection. That's water baptism. Uh, but it's important for you to know that the New Testament, when it uses the word baptize or baptism, uh, there's four different things that it could be talking about. Uh, one is water baptism. Uh, the other thing it could be talking about is like a baptism of repentance. Uh, Jesus was baptized. He experienced the baptism of John as a baptism of repentance, the Bible talks about. Uh, third is a baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, where the Holy Spirit so in, engulfs your life submerges your life, like you're, you're filled with the presence of God and this presence of God just dripping off your life. It's a, it's a Holy Spirit baptism. Uh, fourth baptism that we see throughout the New Testament is being baptized into the body of Christ. Uh, this fourth baptism is what I believe Paul's talking about here. This is where, this is the moment you become a Christian. Uh, we, we would say you got saved or you began to follow Jesus. You, you made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life is what we would say. What Paul would say is, is you are baptized into Jesus' death. In other words, when he died, you died. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. How can we live a new life? Well, there, first of all, there has to be a death. The old you has to go away so the new you can come forward. And Paul's saying, when Jesus died, it's as though you died. And he says this over and over and over in chapter 6 because he, he wants us to get this, wants us to sink into our, our minds, into our conscience. Uh, verse 5 says this, For if we were united with him in a death like his... In other words, we've died just as he, we were united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, we know that the old self was crucified with him. Old you, gone. New you, now here. Verse 8, for if we have died with Christ. Over and over, Paul's saying throughout Romans chapter 6, and this is so, so important for us to grasp, and we don't hear this taught enough, but the old you's gone. The old you that was under law. That's why Paul would say, now you've, you've died to the law, so that now you can be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That's good news. That's good news. Romans 7, 4. So my brothers, 
You also died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, here's what's important for us to know. Just as we discovered in Romans chapter 6, where Paul would write, you're, you're dead to sin. How can you live in it any longer? So, so as the Christian, you need to understand you are dead to sin, but sin is not dead to you. In the same way, you are dead to the law, but you would need to know the law is not dead to you. And so what Paul's saying is you're dead to sin. You don't, you're free. You don't have to live under the, under the reign of sin any longer, the tyranny of sin. You're free from that. But many Christians still choose to live under the tyranny of sin. But that's a choice. You don't have to. In the same way, you are dead to the law. You're free to live in freedom from the law, the rules, the obligation, the, the tyranny, the oppression that the law brings. So now you can walk in joy and live life under grace. But many Christians, even though they're free from the law, choose to subject themselves back under the law. But Paul would want you to know, you, you died to the law because when Christ died, you died. Okay? All right, look at uh, the next portion of this verse. Romans 7, 4, parts A and B says, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So remember the axiom, the law only applies to the living. Remember the analogy, he uses that of marriage. So, so as long as both couples are living, they're, they're bound to, to marriage. But when one dies, they're free to marry someone else. And what Paul is saying is that when Christ died, you died. So now you're free to marry another, him who was raised from the dead. You get that? It's good. At least I think it's good. So I'm having a party up here. All right. Thank you, James. Perfect. All right. No longer married to the law. Now you're married to Christ. And I wish we had more time to unpack what that marriage looks like. The marriage relationship. And as dudes, that's super weird uh, too, by the way. And so if you're a fellow in the room, like I get that. But this is a beautiful thing. It's like, it's like this. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird to even think about it. But, uh, but it's a beautiful thing. And so Paul talks about that in Roman, or Ephesians 5. Uh, John writes about that, Revelation 19, like it's this wedding supper of the Lamb. It's this beautiful celebration of a relationship with God, never to be broken again. But there's another time and place for that. So let's look at verse 4 and 5. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. So you, you died to the law. Now, now you're free from that, that covenant. Now you may, may be married to someone else. That's Jesus. In order that we might bear fruit to God. For we were controlled by the sinful nature. The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. And we bore fruit for, for death. Marriage relationships are, are one of the purposes is to, to bear fruit. Right. And so so but but what Paul's saying is whenever you're married to the law, you're married to these these rules like you weren't it didn't produce freedom, like it didn't produce good fruit. You thought like, man, if I can just do this, this, this and this, then then it'll be a lot of fruit. But but that's not the case. The law, it, it brings oppression. The law brings condemnation. The law is what will judge you before the courts of heaven. A matter of fact, for the person that that is not a Christian, hasn't been forgiven, that individual will, will give an account for every, Jesus said you'll give an account for every idle word you've ever spoken. 
Uh, in Revelation 20, it's this image of what's known as the great white throne judgment. And it says, says there that the dead, in, the dead were there, like not the dead in Christ, but just dead, that great and small, people of high authority, people with great wealth, people with great influence, and also the very poor, the people with no influence. They're there before the courts of heaven. And it says, and the books were open and the dead were judged according to what they had done. In other words, before, if you're a Christian, before you became a Christian, there was a document, there was a receipt. Think of it like a bill that you get when you go to the restaurant. You ordered this, you ordered this, you ordered this. Now you got to pay the bill. Well, throughout your life, you've done some things and you need to know it's documented. And if you don't surrender your life to Jesus, you're going to have to pay your bill. You don't have to follow Jesus, but like, my question is, what are you going to do with your bill? And in that sense, the, the law is not bad. Like God created the law. The law is righteous and good, Paul's going to say next week when we study so that portion of Scripture. But, but the law does have authority to condemn you. The law will judge you. But the good news is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you died to the law so that now you can be married to another, that you can bear good fruit, not just fruit that leads to death, but good things. Things like Galatians 5.22 talks about things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like the attributes that we all long to be true of us. Now that can be dripping off your life because you're not living life under this rules-based mentality, but you're living life under the reign of grace. And as the Holy Spirit's working in you, yeah, the Holy Spirit works in you. It comes, it, it, it's all possible from this place of surrender, which you surrender to God, he begins to, to do a work, work in your life. Well, another fruit of the Spirit isn't just love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, general self-control. Romans 6, Paul talked about this type of fruit out of the life of a believer. He says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit, here's what your life will produce. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And we talked about that when we studied Romans 6. This $5 word sanctification simply means like I'm aligning my life to Jesus. I'm trying to live my life as Jesus would if he were in my place. And that end, it leads to eternal life. That's good news. So one of the marks, one of the fruits of a follower of Jesus is this, this posture of heart that says, Jesus, I just want to be more like you. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. Whatever you have for me, I'm on. Whatever you ask me to do, God, you can count on me. To the best of my ability, I'm going to be that guy. So that's the axiom, the analogy, the application. Now let's look at the advantage. The advantage. Romans 7, 6. But now... By dying to what, what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. The old way of the written code versus the new way of the spirit. What was Paul talking about there? In church terms, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard of old covenant versus new covenant. Well, that's basically what Paul's saying here. The, the, the new way of the spirit, that would be the new covenant versus the old way of the written code. That's the old covenant. So one's a reign of grace, a reign of, with Jesus in partnership with him, in relationship with him. The other's a reign of law, uh, which ultimately leads to sin and ultimately leads to, to death. So what are the advantages of walking in the new covenant? What's the advantages of walking in the new way of the spirit? 
Uh, very quickly here, I'm going to give you seven advantages. Uh, we can make a lot longer list. And I hope this week you think about this. You come back to this. You meditate on, God, what are the advantages of living under the new covenant? You just, you just marvel at God's radical grace that now you get to experience because of what Jesus has done for you. But here's, a, here's seven of them. Just because we gave seven bad things, here's seven good things. All right. Uh, the old way was external. The new way is internal. Old way, external, new way, internal. Uh, you might remember the, the law, the Ten Commandments were given to the nation of Israel, uh, after which they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. They were placed in the inner sanctuary of the temple by which only the priest could access like once a year. And at that, with great risk to himself, like they would literally tie a rope around the dude's ankle in case he dropped dead in the presence of God and they'd just drag him out. Like that's a... Uh, Pretty high stakes. But here's what Hebrews 8.10 says. But I will put my law in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Old way was external, written, written code on tablets of stone. New, new way, written on your hearts. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to help you discern in any situation that you encounter this week, any situation you might face today. God, how would you like me to respond to this? God, God, if you were in my spot, what would you, what would you want me to do here? And he'll lead you. Old way, external. New way, internal. Second, the old way was a veiled understanding. New way is clearly understood. Old way was veiled. New way, clearly understood. Second Corinthians 3.15 Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, whenever someone becomes a follower of Jesus, when someone moves away from the old covenant and they, they become a child of God in the new covenant, the veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. One of the things I remember most distinctly about when I first started following Jesus is, is I remember, man, whenever I'd get in a jam, I would, I, would, I would read the Bible. Like even if it was one in a hotel bedroom that was in King James, I would try to read it or I'd, I'd find myself in a jam, a tight spot, a place I didn't want to be. And I, I'd, I'd try to find a Bible and I'd say like, God, help me. And I was like, I don't understand any of this. But I remember distinctly when I first started following Jesus, I don't know if you guys remember The Matrix, like it was like a 1990s movie, uh, but you took, the dude, dude took this pill and it's like his eyes were open and he saw this whole new dimension. When I first started following Jesus, I felt like that. I thought, God, what was once veiled to me, you're making known to me. And, I, I, and by the way, like I still don't have like, I don't have a great understanding of scripture. I still read an NIV study Bible. So when I come across the passage I don't understand, I drop down, I read the commentary on it. Like I still do that to this day. But what I'm saying is all of a sudden I felt like I'm starting to understand something here. Like I think, I think maybe God's speaking to me through this. Situations and circumstances that were happening in my life, all of a sudden I read God's word. And I'm like, you're talking about that. Like I, it, it, my eyes were open. I'm just saying part of the new covenant is like, you're no longer veiled, but like unveiled. Like God's revealing truth to you. Third, the old way was concerned with the letter of the law. The new way concerned with the spirit of the law. Old way, letter of the law. New way, spirit of the law. Matthew 5.27, Jesus kind of speaks to this. He says, you've heard the command that says you must not commit adultery. In other words, dudes were walking around like, well, yeah, I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't sleep with her. Like, I didn't do that. But Jesus is like, wait a minute. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So he's saying, like, like you can keep the, the letter of the law, but the, the, the spirit of the law behind that is just honor your wife and treat her like you would want to be treated. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says this. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, do not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others and so fulfills the requirements of the law. That was always the spirit of law behind it. It's like, like just, just lo- treat people the way you'd want to be treated. That's the spirit of law. Love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like that's, that's at the root of it. Fourth, the old way was motivated by fear. The new way is motivated by love. Old covenant motivated by fear. God, if I don't, if I don't do this, 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 and this, then you're going you're gonna to crush me. But the new way is motivated by love. Like, God, you've rescued me. You, you invite me into a relationship. You call me a child of God. Are you kidding me? So now, God, my motivation is not that you're going to disown me if I blow it, but my motivation is I just don't want anything to come in between us. I want to just stay in proximity with you. I want to stay close to you. So I'm going to do anything in my life that would hinder that closeness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 22, uh, the author of Hebrews, he writes about this encounter that the nation of Israel had uh, in the Exodus. They, they come to Mount Sinai. Uh, the Lord says, hey, consecrate yourselves because three days later, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. And I would suggest it's never been done since. Uh, But God audibly speaks an audible voice to the nation of Israel, millions of people at the base of this mountain. And and, and it was a a fearful thing. We talked about it last summer in our our study through uh, Led by Fire. Uh, But but here's what happened. Like the people are assembled. It's the third day. They're at the foot of this mountain. And all of a sudden this cloud starts to develop over this mountain, the Mount Mount Sinai. And then all of a sudden the earth starts to to shake and and it's rumbling. There's lightning. There's fire. There's this trumpet blast. It's like, oh my goodness, the presence of God is here. And God begins to speak to people audibly. And they were terrified. And they actually say, Moses, Moses, don't ever let God talk to us like that again. Because if he does, I think we're going to die. And Moses is like, you're probably right. Because he wanted to kill you once before and I had to step in for you. And that was terrifying. But that's the old covenant. New covenant's not, not like that. Look at this. Verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, but to a, uh, to a place with flaming fires, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard the awesome trumpet blast and the the voice so terrible that they bade God, stop talking to us. So a lot of times we say like, I would just wish I could hear God speak in an audible voice. Uh, Scriptures would suggest you don't really want that uh, because it's a fearful thing unless you're a child of God. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. And Moses was a man who talked to God face to face as a man talks to his friends. So this was a very unique encounter they have with God. But that's, that's the old way. Now, and he says, but, but, but no, that's not you anymore. You've, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem with countless of thousands of angels in joyful gatherings. 
It's no longer a fearful thing. It's, now it's like this awesome thing where you're with thousands and thousands of, of angels that are ministering spirits uh, sent to help you who will inherit salvation. And with one voice, you get to worship the living God. It's this dark contrast, drastic contrast. That's the old way. This is, this is the new way. Old way motivated by fear, new way motivated by love. Fifth advantage, the old way was weak because of the flesh. New way is powerful because of the spirit. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law was weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Hey, man, whenever, whenever, whenever God fills your life, he'll empower you to do things you never thought possible. I remember whenever I, I first started following Jesus, I thought it was like this, this white knuckle approach, like, God, I don't want to blow it because I know what I've done. I don't want to go back. And that was my approach. I remember my story. I, I, I first surrendered my life to Jesus in my parents' living room. And, uh, and I thought, man, I, I wanna, I'm, all, I'm taking this seriously now. I'm going to follow God. So I'm going to shave my face and not wear a beard and quit smoking and quit doing what I thought Christians shouldn't do. And I've backslidden since then. But, <laughs> but, but I tried. I tried so hard. But I was weak. But, but in the areas where I wanted victory... What I, what I experienced is, and what you'll experience is too, you'll find victory in those areas when you surrender to God. There's power in surrender. A lot of people are like, I just wish the Holy Spirit would fill my life. And my question is, have you surrendered your life to God? Have you sur God can't fill what God can't have. And so on one hand, we say, God, fill my life, but don't do that. God, fill my life, but you can't go there. God, fill my life, but don't touch that situation. No, 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 no. God wants to fill your life. He'll empower you to do what you could never do on your own. But it only comes through surrender and allowing him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. But the law, before you have the Holy Spirit, it's weak. It's weak because, of, because we have the sin nature in us, because of the flesh, the Bible calls it. But the new way is powerful because of the Spirit. Sixth, I've got to move quickly here. Um, the old way brought death. The new way brings life. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8. Uh, he has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not the old letter of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The old way, the law kills, but the spirit gives life, brings freedom. One passage says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But where the law rules, there's oppression and bondage. It's ultimately what will condemn. The seventh advantage, the old way, mankind was a slave to fear. New way, the spirit brings a spirit of sonship. Old way made us, made us slaves, slaves to fear. New way, we become sons and daughters of God. This is a beautiful passage, Romans 8, 15. Man, I, this is one to memorize, meditate on. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. By him, we cry out, Abba, Father. And I love this. this. It's not a knock on the ladies, but he uses this word sonship. 
because in this culture, only a son could get the inheritance. And so part of this passage is speaking to your inheritance. Like as, as a child of God, you have an, an immense inheritance that's too great for words, could be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But you have an inheritance as a child of God. And not only that, but you have this intimate relationship by which you're able to cry out, Abba, Father. Our English word that comes closest is probably Daddy. And I don't know about you, but man, I got, I got a little girl. And every time, I got two boys too, but my little girl, she comes up, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, can, can we do this? Yes. Daddy, Daddy, can we go do that? 100%. Daddy, can you help? Yes. My boys come ask, Daddy, can we do it? Ah, maybe. But my daughter <laughs> is yes. That's Daddy's girl. And as I think about that, I think that, God, if, if you love me like that, then man, I need to talk to you about a whole lot of stuff. Because I got some stuff I could use your help in. A couple situations, a little confused. But Abba, Father, I have a spirit of sonship. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You invited me and you called me a son. You call me a, a daughter, like called you a daughter. You got an inheritance and you, you cry out to your father. What a beautiful reality. And we could add a whole lot more, and I hope you do. But this week, imagine how this week would be different if we grasped this truth. The axiom is that the law only applies to the living, not the dead. The illustration that Paul reached for is that of marriage. And that, that a marriage can only exist as long as both parties are alive. But when one dies, it's over. And you've died with Christ. Here's the application. You died with Christ. So you're no longer obligated to the law. That marriage was cantankerous anyway. That, that, that marriage was oppressive. That marriage points out all your faults. Everything you did wrong. But now you can be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, a new reign, a new covenant under the reign of grace in partnership, marriage relationship with Jesus, not the written code. And now there's so many advantages to that relationship that you and I get to enjoy. May we meditate on that truth this week. May we marinate in that. You're dead to the law. That which would condemn you no longer has its place. It's, you're dead to that. That's why Paul's going to say, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. How could you be condemned when you died to that which would condemn you? And that's the beautiful truth of Romans 7, 1 through 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that.